Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron, and we're so excited you could join us today. Uh, before we get started, I want to ask you to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, any other major platform you can think of, we're there. So definitely subscribe. Give us five stars. We would appreciate that. Uh, before we get into the show today, Byron, let the listeners know, um, especially the new listeners, why they should be listening to Pol- Politically Entertaining. Oh man, it's 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 a lot going on, and uh, unless you've been, as they say, living under a rock, I mean, the main topic besides COVID is politics. I mean, anytime we have a presidential election, that's what's going on. That's what's happening. And Frank and I are here to you know break it down, bring it to you, and discuss that along with many other things that's going on in the world, man. As always, before we get into like the heavy political stuff, we always start off with something that's uh, pretty fairly light, man. And I think the last time we spoke, Frank, uh, the playoffs were going on and Miami wound up making it to the finals. My Miami Heat, they lost to the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron got his fourth title. So the Lakers got their 17th franchise championship, I believe it was. And just the other day, the Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series. So LA is kind of like a title town right now. For me, just looking at that, uh, even though I'm a Miami Heat fan, you know, I, I'm, I like LeBron in a lot of ways. I hate he left my team, but, you know, the brother has done some great things off the court, and it's, it's hard to knock that and his uh, social activism. So good for him. Uh, Magic Johnson, man, part owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Like, this dude now has five championships with the Lakers as a player. He has a championship as an owner of the L.A. Sparks, a part owner, I guess. And now a championship as part owner with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So Magic Johnson is just, he got his hands in everything, man. The dude is getting it done. My question to you is, uh, along with any other commentary you may have, will there be an asterisk among these championships this year, whether it be the NBA championship, baseball, uh, by the time we get around to Super Bowl, considering what all these sports leagues have had to go through with uh, COVID, and just some teams literally being eliminated because their whole team would test positive. Is there any type of asterisk or, or will we treat these championships like any other of the past? So I think it's, I think it's, a, it's an interesting question. So, you know, and it's funny you mentioned asterisk because your boy Pat Riley got uh, a lot of flack for kind of hinting yeah, that he, he felt like talk. L.A. Um, I, I, I don't agree with his commentary that, there was an asterisk. I know we know injuries do happen. Uh, one of the things for those if you haven't heard, he he was saying that you know Miami Heat are were, were a very good team, um, you know this year. And obviously when they lost, they lost their starting point guard for those who don't know, as well as uh, their center for a couple of games. And you know they won 100. And so definitely uh, maybe we didn't get to see the best of Miami, but you know injuries do happen. And I don't think I don't think the Lakers did anything that would be deserving, as well as the Dodgers. That that would have been out of the realm of any other year of an asterisk, right? Like, so if the if somebody on the Heat had tested positive for COVID and they missed the series, I think then you go, ooh. But injuries happen. You can't say that injury wouldn't happen on a. They're playing on a ninety-four foot court, right? So to me, all was fair. You had referees, you had the, the rims and everything. So I felt like that was unfair. And anybody who puts an asterisk by either the Lakers or Dodgers, they're probably just haters of those teams because. They went through the protocols. Everybody else did. I don't think they had any, neither team had an unfair advantage over the other team. 
and they played according to the rules. The rules were adjusted. Certainly in the NBA had a bubble format, not so much necessarily uh, in the Major League Baseball, but still, um, you know, no major pitchers missed a, missed a game or something. Clayton Kershaw didn't miss a start or something weird. Um, so I just, I just think that it will be remembered it won't be an asterisk by but it will be like, whoa, who won the championship that year? There was a pandemic. It'll be like, yeah, that was crazy. They won that year. It was a weird format. So I think over time, the people who the Dodgers and the Lakers and whoever maybe wins Super Bowl this year, uh, they will get credit more so for persevering because it's, it's a mental battle because there's a real virus going on. And I know that there is, uh, we're not here to necessarily get into all, oh, do you believe in the mask and the science, but people are dying. People have died from this. And and these guys are human beings and they have families and, and many of them have had to sacrifice. So I think if I think if anything, it's, it's a credit to the athletes who were able to persevere at the highest level uh, to make to the championship game, uh, to the championship series. You know, both Tampa Bay Rays and the Miami Heat, even though they lost, you know, all these teams deserve credit because staying focused in this type of environment, bro, it's difficult. And so, you know, I, I think the history will remember these teams well. Um and, and they will be remembered as champions because I don't think there's anything that's going to come out that's going to take away uh, from, from their victories. So I, I think they'll be remembered well. I could not agree more. Um, in fact, I think kind of like you said, they, they deserve more credit because a lot of these athletes, they have certain ways that they unwind and get refocused or, you know, just step away from the game once it's over. They couldn't do that, especially in the NBA. They couldn't do that. They were literally in this bubble in Orlando, you know, we watched the last dance a few months ago. We saw how Jordan would go out gambling in, in Atlantic City. Dennis Rodman needed a whole flight to Vegas to go party for three nights just to get away from it all and just recharge himself and, and do Dennis Rodman type things, of course. But they wouldn't have been able to do that had they been playing in these playoffs. So, you know, to me, and, and I'm a big fan of boxing too, and I've seen – so the so boxers are doing pretty much what the NBA has done. So a week leading up to their fight, they check into this hotel. They're not allowed to leave that floor that their room is on. So they're literally like trapped in this hotel room for an entire week leading up to their fight. And they've complained that, you know, it's 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 almost like being in jail. So it's very difficult to persevere like that. And like I said, I think they will definitely be remembered. Hey. LeBron, of all people, doesn't want to hear any excuses about injuries. This dude lost to the Golden State Warriors when Kyrie Irving and uh, Kevin Love went down. So he wanted, he doesn't want to hear anything about excuses. You know, you suit up, you play the game, injuries are a part of it, and they came on top. Salute to them. I just was happy that he won. I, I mean, made it that far. I felt like they overachieved this season, and uh, I really like what this young squad brought and looking forward to what they bring in the future, man. So that's all I got on that, man. Congrats to L.A. Dodgers and the uh, Lakers. With that said, let's go ahead and get into some politics because we got a lot to get into. Listening to Politically Entertaining. 
your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now your hosts, Frank and Byron. Want to thank everybody once again for joining us on Politically Entertaining. Frank Turner, Byron Evans, we're here to break down some things to you. As he said at the top of the show, subscribe. We're on all podcast pl- platforms. And even if you listen to the recent episode like you are now, go back and listen to some of those. We got some dope interviews. Uh, Senator from Oklahoma, Senator Langford. We've talked to Zaza Ali. We've talked to uh, Professor Claiborne Carson, Tim Wise, like, Man, we, we have talked to some very notable people. We've had some interesting interviews, informative interviews with like Sam Bogan, uh, Orazio Macarella on, on credit. So go back, go through the different seasons. And I'm telling you, you'll find some very informative, entertaining things there. So check us out. And like he said, give us five stars. Anything less, as Bomani Jones says, we are inclined to believe you are a hater. With that said, man, this Tuesday, election day, November 3rd, um, my first question to you, Frank, have you and the missus, have you guys already voted or are you waiting for Tuesday to do it in person? So we live in Maryland um, and they have, uh, and we're actually recording this, just we're recording this on a Thursday night. So the early voting ends on this Sunday. So I we, we plan to vote in the next 72 hours during the early voting period. Uh, so, so we, we're going to try to do that and, uh, you know, but I mean, if, if all, if all fails, yes, we'll be voting on Tuesday, but for the most part, we're going to try to vote early because I feel like that's going to be the best option, but we've, we've done our research, you know, it's funny you ask, cause you know, we've done this for the last few years where, uh, we found some websites, at least for the Mer- Maryland, where we can look at all the questions and all the, you know, kind of candidates that were on the ballot and kind of get a feel for, you know, their positions and, I mentioned these, we've mentioned these after four vote spotter. Uh, it used to be countable, but now it's causes where you can actually put in your zip code, uh, see the kind of bills that are being voted on in your area, see with the, with your representatives or how they're voting. So there's some pretty cool um, things out there. So we're doing our due diligence to know who we're supposed to vote for or who we should vote for. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. So no, we haven't voted yet, but we've done our research and we will be making our vote shortly. Now you brought up a great point. We always talk about the who as far as in an election, but you also brought up the what. And that's that's very important too, because when you go to uh, the voting booth, there's usually like two or three amendments, bills, or some type of question that they ask you that nine times out of 10, you had heard nothing about. So if you're in a rush, you're probably gonna skip it or just mark anything uh, because you really need to read it and the way they word these bills Sometimes it's crazy, but I know one in Virginia in particular, it had to do with uh, redistricting and, and, and uh, as we like to call gerrymandering, but they were talking about, you know, should there be a commission formed of 10 Virginia residents and some more people that come together and get a say so on how the different districts in Virginia are, are made without the governor say so. So that, I feel like that was an important question. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's important. If you can look up and see, you know, what your area is voting on because that's important as well. So great point on that. Man, what I wanted to say was, uh, I asked that question because just listening to the president over the last few months, I became less and less trustful of my mail-in ballot. Like just listen to him and 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 how he has been riding the uh, director of the postal service. 
I just, I'm sorry, I did not trust a mail-in ballot. So I went on and voted yesterday on Wednesday. I voted in person and it, it was very smooth, man, very smooth. I'll talk about talk more about that later. But what I wanted to say was, I want to tell people, don't be lazy. And what I mean by that, I don't mean like, don't physically go and vote. I'm not talking about that kind of laziness. I'm talking about some of the things I see on social media where people just say, you know, both sides are the same, both are equally bad. Neither are going to do anything for this or that. Just say you don't understand the differences and keep it moving. Because I see those type of posts and, and hear so many people say that all the time. There is a stark difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And right now, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Um, you look at how this administration has handled COVID. You look at how one cares about a clean environment and the other one doesn't. There are so many differences between these two candidates. That whole both sides are the same thing just does not work, especially for this year. So I just want to say that it's, it's, it's very important to vote. And I'm, I'm curious to see what history would say if Trump wins again, because we can look at 2016 and we can make excuses well. People didn't like Hillary and they felt like Trump wasn't going to win. So they made peace with just staying home so they wouldn't have to vote for Hillary, things like that. And the numbers definitely say that you look at the vote totals. A lot of people stayed home in 2016. But if he wins again, we can't make that excuse. And if he wins again, I'm curious to see if history will say this was when America embraced. Uh, I know you and I disagree on whether or not he's a racist, but we do both agree that he he dabbles in certain racial overtones. So if he wins again, will America be viewed as the country that embrace that type of rhetoric from their from their politician? Did they embrace bullying, name calling, uh, straight out flat lying? I know people say politicians lie all the time, but this guy he takes it to a new level. He he flat out lies. He's not open and honest with, with the American public. So if he wins again, how is this country going to be viewed going forward? Will future politicians think it's okay to be that way? Will they think it's okay to just blatantly lie, not tell the truth, be gleefully ignorant on issues, important issues? So that's 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 one of my big interests in this. And also, you know, it's not just the president that's on the ballot, the House of Representatives and the Senate. The Senate right now is 53-47 Republican majority. They just confirmed a third Supreme Court Justice, Amy Comey Barrett, under uh, this administration, uh, confirmed her 52 to 48. So if you're somebody like this analyst on CNN who in 2016 said she was going to write her mother in for the president, now she's complaining about what this administration has done. If you're one of those people that didn't vote for Hillary in 2016 and that was your right to do so, that was your right. But if you're one of those people, you can't be mad at the confirmation of Amy Comey Barrett because those are the type of things that happen, okay? Votes have already been casted and they still, they rush, they slam through this Supreme Court nominee. Ruth Bader, Gator, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just passed away and we already have her replacement. They took no diligence whatsoever. They, they rammed it through and now it's 6'3", conservative, 
Supreme Court. So things like that drive me crazy when people complain about the actual action, but they did nothing to prevent it in an election that they had say so in. So like I said, the house is up as well. And there are all types of election day scenarios. So I know four years ago, we had your sister on here, Frank. We all made our predictions on what was gonna happen. We were all wrong. So we're gonna try this again. I wanna get your prediction on the house, the Senate, and of course the president, who wins, who loses, who takes majority, all that good stuff. What you got? Yeah, man, I mean, four years ago, I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't want to say this on that episode, which you mentioned my sister, but I really thought that Donald Trump had a bad feeling he was going to win because I felt like there was, there was just too much. It was like, it was almost like when the giants were playing the Patriots and everybody was just like, ain't no way the giants going to win. I'm just like, but the giants almost giants played them. Well, like if those who remember the 2000, uh, seven Patriots were undefeated in the regular season. They got a Super Bowl and they lost to the Giants. And in the last game of the regular season where they went undefeated, the Giants who had already clinched the playoff spot, people said, oh, should they, you know, play their guys? Should they rest? And they came out and they really played well. They didn't win and and the Patriots won. But you kind of saw a little bit of like, man, the Patriots could lose, but all right. And then so going to Super Bowl, I was like, there's no way, you know, the Giants, the Giants obviously had won three games to get there, you know, in the NFC and everybody's like, oh, they don't have a chance. And they and obviously they end up winning. So I feel like Donald Trump kind of had a similar path where it was like he beat all those nominees in 2016, it was like 17 people. And he just kept and, and Hillary Clinton was just so arrogant that she didn't think she could lose. So I say all that to say. Now, four years later, looking at all the races, looking at everything, you know, I think people are going to be a little bit more serious. I know there are always people who say, you know, all politicians are liars, so I don't vote and things like that. But I think you're seeing a real shift. I think you've seen people like John Kasich, who came over, spoke of the DNC, uh, you know, and, and you're seeing real people endorse Biden and, and also, I believe, vote for him. So I think that the outcome, I mean, Trump didn't win by a large margin. I know, I, know, I know that's something we, he won a minority, like he still lost the popular vote. I mean, that's the crazy thing about it. Um, Donald Trump lost the popular vote in 2016. So, you know, basically no more than what 40 to 50,000 votes got him to be president. That's a small amount when you think about the amount of people that are registered to vote in the electorate. So uh, when I look at this race, I think that the one thing that actually is going to sink Donald Trump, and, I, and I'm going to we, I know we're not doing predictions yet, but I think that's going to sink him is his response to coronavirus because I've looked in, in depth at some of the polls oh, yeah. and he polls close with Biden on many issues, including economy, health care, foreign, foreign policy, many, many items. It's a toss up. But when it comes to the coronavirus response, he gets demolished. And I think that the fact that there's dead bodies on the ground is going to end up costing him uh, the election. Because he doesn't have that, he didn't have that much margin to work with in in the beginning. And, and while his base is his base, he really hasn't been able to add to me to it with his performance in office. I feel like if he had handled the pandemic, we would definitely be looking at potentially a second term of Donald Trump because of that. But because of he he handled it so poorly, 
that even if he had had a perfect presidency up until the coronavirus, this would be enough to almost get him up out of office. Like if he had been an awesome president and you loved everything he did, and it's like the way he handled this was like, man, this is messed up. You, this is really a bad job. You guys straight up ignored the facts. You know, you lied, you, you, um, you silenced your scientists. So to answer your question, what does this mean? If, if he does win, then it means that the electoral college is the worst thing ever. And he's not gonna, cause he's not gonna win a popular vote. Like, I think that's, that's obvious. But I think that if he does, win, I think the fact that he has a chance when already speaks enough volume, right? I think the fact that he's been in office. Great point. And, and, and I think the, la the other thing I've been saying is you gotta look beyond whether or not he wins or loses. Cause I, I, I do think he's not going to win, but he's already caused so much damage, not just even from the courts and the judges, but the mindset, as you said, of what a politician can do. Because see, Donald Trump was not that likable. His favorability ratings, he wasn't likable, but he did a lot of things, you know, what if somebody comes who's a little more likable, but a little more sinister? That is really what you could be looking at down the road, whether it be 2024, 2028 or whenever, you can end up with a real candidate who can do some real damage. Everybody's like, oh yeah, we can get behind this, right? Like get behind this guy. And you think, because people are looking for a savior. And I, I don't, like I said, you guys know where I stand, you know, from, from a kingdom, some people call it religion. I don't believe in religion. That's that's God's way of trying to define men. But what I, what I understand about God, the kingdom of God, men are gonna be looking for a savior down the road and they're gonna be deceived. And Donald Trump, well, some people said he was the Antichrist. He clearly isn't because nobody, nobody like his ass well enough to be the Antichrist. But he sets up a path to where you can find somebody because the country's so divided. And people are looking for this savior that he can usher in that. His, he's the precursor to an Antichrist-like figure, not because he's likable, but because of how dislikable he is and how much... Um, how much you know division he's he's wrought in the country. People want to get back, and so Biden really, when you think about his candidacy, all he all he's had to do is present himself as a person who won't further divide and make things worse. He hasn't really even detailed in great detail his plans for a lot of different things. He called he said something about Biden Care, which sounded just like basically a rebranding of Obamacare with a couple of you know tweaks to the Medicare Medicaid. So it's like. I don't know that he has a comprehensive plan to like roll the country in a different direction versus he's just not gonna have us plunge headlong off the cliff. And so when you look in the future and what could be, we've opened up a really dangerous game for what politicians can say and do to get in office if they have more of a silver tongue, so to speak, and a sinister agenda. Um, I think Trump didn't even necessarily know he was gonna win, but you know, in doing so he opened up the process to, wow, you know, you don't know what kind of candidates you'll end up with on either side, right? And I know that Donald Trump ran as Republican, but let's not be fooled and think that there can't be just as dangerous candidates coming from the Democratic side. I think that's what um, people need to understand is this isn't a party thing. This is a democracy thing that we have put at risk. And if we don't understand that, we're going to be like these other countries that we think that we're so much better than. We're going to be just like them. We're going to be um, controlled by, you know, which, which some people might already tell you, if you go on YouTube, people will tell you that we already are, but we'll have even less of the, whatever we think we have, um, if we continue down this path. So, yeah, I, I heard you say you don't think he'll win. Uh, do you think the Senate will flip 
uh, would the Democrats keep control of uh, the House? So Democrats would definitely keep control of the House because I don't I don't see any way that they lose their majority because there's no momentum. To me, these these things are like I don't know how to describe it, but they they just run. There's like a momentum shift. So the house it shifted in 2018, right? Mm -hmm. So in the two years since then, the Republicans have not regained that momentum. AOC and the squad, as they call it, like they have had their ups and downs, but they're still to me shining brighter than anything the Republicans are bringing through the house. So I, I see them being able to retain the majority there. The Senate, I think will, it's gonna be close. I think the Senate could end up being being very close. I think the, the Democrats do have a chance. Um, that's probably the toughest place for them to try to take it, but, but because they've done it 10 years, it happened, you know, what, 10 years ago or, yeah, I think it happened 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, I think they can do it again. I think I think it's been, it's, it's not like it's unprecedented that they control everything. It's just that this, I'll say this, it don't matter. Democrats ain't going to do ish with it. I don't even cuss on the podcast. <laughs> I don't cuss on the podcast. I'm going I'm to edit, edit that out. But what I'm saying is they ain't going to do nothing because Democrats are punks, like straight up, man. And, and I say this respectfully and not like in some ignorant way, but it's just like, the thing about Republicans is, and, and, I, and I'm not telling you how to vote, and I'm not espousing either party, but what I'm saying is they're going to, if they get an advantage, they're going to, they're going to go, they're going to close you out. Like, what do they say? Um, it was a stat when I was watching the NBA finals. They said LeBron, last 50 close game, he's 39 and 11. That means that 80% of the time, about 80% of the time, he's like, look, I got you on the ropes. I'm closing you out. To me, the Democrats record would be the exact opposite of that. Like, they never do anything when they have the power, they're just too busy, like scuttling around, trying to worry about what everybody thinks. Republicans just push through whatever they want to push through. I mean, the Republicans used to have an eight one um, lead uh, lead or whatever, the, the conservative advantage eight one in, in the Supreme Court. So it's been it's actually been a larger um, majority. But here's a here's a trick. I'll tell you about that. For those people who are listening and you're you, you know voting on single issue things, utilitarian voting like abortion. Let me give you a couple of stats that you might not know. There's something called a Guttmacher survey. It's a real survey. And I know nobody wants to listen to anything outside of your memes on your social media timeline. But if you're listening to us, give us a shot and read the, check this out. Guttmacher, G-U-T-T-M-A-C-H-E-R. Uh, just type in Guttmacher abortion study. Abortion in the last decade has been down. Guess who was president most of the last decade, right? So what I'm saying is abortion is on its way down. Um, and and I say that in, 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 in contrast to in 1992, when um, George Bush won or, you know, George Bush Sr., when, I don't think it was George Bush Sr., but anyway, George Bush won, was in office, and they had an 8-1 majority. They did not overturn Roe v. Wade. So this, this obsession with the conservatives to get the court stacked to, to get rid of a marriage equality and Roe v. Wade, it's not going to happen because these justices, believe it or not, they pull an okie doke pretty hard. Like, they're like, ah, oh, we're just going to leave it where it is. They don't, they, I mean, they don't really move a lot of stuff. And so the idea that, you know, abortion is going to be gone. And then, and then on top of that, I, some more stuff that I'll share with you is Roe v. Wade, if it is overturned, it only is going to reduce abortions by maybe between 10 and 20%. And the reason why is because you still have state level laws that are in place. And here's another thing. Abortions were happening well before Roe v. Wade. They were happening back in the 18th century. They were happening back, I mean, they were happening back forever, you know, because people have had the same, you know, 
mindset like man i got i don't know if i want to have this kid and i'm not i'm not here for a morality play i'm just saying that people have been dealing with the same sense for a long time abortion is not a new thing so the idea of like being obsessed with this conservative majority it's just a dog whistle because really nothing's going to happen you know and as in, in pro-life is not the same as anti-abortion. Some people are just real anti-abortion, but if you're pro-life, you would be just as upset at Flandreau Castillo and Clarence and, and, and um, you know, uh, what's, what all, I can't even think of all people's names. Um, Flandreau Castillo, George Floyd, Sandra Bland, you know, uh, you know, just keep going down the list, you know, whoever you want. And, and so this idea of pro-life is a dog whistle and, and all these things we're doing and talking about and saying, it's like, the thing, the thing is, the only people that actually are making changes are are the conservatives. Like they actually making hardcore changes. They they can they come in and they gerrymander the districts. They appoint all the federal judges. They appoint Supreme Court. It's like, what are the Democrats doing? I I give Donald Trump this. What are you Democrats doing? Like, they they have the worst rhetoric ever. Like, can you can you not give me the same talking points? And and I'm saying all this, and I'm not telling you not to vote for Joe Biden, because I'm not, I, there is a difference. But what I'm saying is the Republicans need to, I mean, the Democrats, when they get the majority, when they get the presidency, they need to actually do some things for this country that makes them memorable, other than just being the people that 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 kind of get, take, take, the, take the seat after the Republicans mess up, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's what they did. Like, after Bush had eight years where he ran the economy into the ground and got into, you know, the, the, the axis of evil wars and and, and, and Lehman Brothers and all that stuff folded. Then Obama came in riding the wave. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Oh, yes, we still can. All that nonsense. And I like Barack Obama, and I'm proud to have voted for him twice. And, 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 I, and I don't care what you think about that. You know, if you voted for Romney, that's cool. If you voted for McCain, that's cool. If you didn't vote, that's cool. But I voted for him twice because I, I thought that he represented some things. Now, he didn't do everything I thought he could have. But what I'm saying is coming after that now into... 2020, I'm like, Tim, well, we had an interview with Tim Wise, and he said something so profound, and I, and I, I would almost spice it in if, if I felt like doing the work to, to edit the show. Maybe I will. <laughs> yeah, but he, said, he said, you're going to see that four years later, Barack Obama didn't do enough. I remember that. I would never want to encourage the cynicism that says, oh, well, you know, Barack Obama failed black folks and therefore, why did we even vote for him? I mean, you know, things can always be worse. They really can. And I think we're about to potentially see the truth of that statement. I would be very surprised if we don't. For those who don't think Barack Obama accomplished anything, wait about six months and get back. <laughs> Because I think we're about to see how wrong that was. On the other hand, for those who think Barack Obama did enough, wait around six months, because if he'd really done enough, Donald Trump couldn't undo it. If he'd really done enough, Republican Congress couldn't undo it. If he'd really done enough, the you know Democratic Party, as inadequate as they are, wouldn't have lost ground all around the country over the last several years. You know, we didn't grow any more people like him in the sense of people who could inspire voters. And so I think I think the Democratic Party has a lot of soul searching to do. I think progressives have a lot of soul searching to do. And I think we all have to make a differentiation between what we do on Election Day, whether it's in 08 or 2016, and what we do 364 days out of the year when it's not Election Day. And he said that. And I was like, well, you know, you may be, you know, I'm, I'm naive. Then I, I was I'm almost I'm, I'm going to be 39 in a couple of days. So I was a little bit younger. Than I was I was young. I was 35. I was in the middle of my 30s. Now I'm almost 40. So I'm like, wait, he's right. He's right. He did not do enough. 
he looked the part, you know, he was, you know, I'm pretty sure he's faithful to Michelle because she would have cut his thing off otherwise, but I, 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 he was a good man. But what I'm saying is he didn't do enough. And the Democrats generally just don't do enough when they're in office. They, they, they like, they, they like, they almost take like a victory tour. Like they on like parade, they on like, they, they do SNL skits and they they get cute, but nothing really changes. Like, you know, we're still battling the same things from civil rights. Why? And is it because the two parties maybe just are the same? Is that the argument? I don't agree with that totally. Here's the thing about Trump. And I know I'm on a long filibuster, but Trump is really just an insurgent. He's not really a Republican. Like for those who are into the conservative ideology, um, he's not a Republican. He's not conservative. He's immoral. He doesn't believe in God. He, he's actually somewhat pro-gay as far as marriage. Like he doesn't really fit any of the boxes except for he's willing to be a bully against the other side. He's a bully against everybody. I mean, hell, everybody who he's hired who doesn't like, he just dog, you know, talks to them like a dog. And, and so it's just like Trump is just the, you know what Trump is? Trump is like the idea that you can let the boogeyman out of hell and then control him. Yeah, he'll be like, let me out and I'll do what I want to do. And he'll be like, okay, yeah, we'll make a deal with the devil. He comes out and he's like, yeah, okay, I'll get to that. But, you know, I'm going to be me. And so it's like, he's, to me, that's what he represents. It's like, he's somebody who has his own agenda, which is really for himself and Ivanka. And, you know, and, and so from a standpoint of him being race, he doesn't care. The thing about Trump is it doesn't make sense is he's willing to pander. He's making a platinum plan for blacks and then doing a wink and nod at the Proud Boys and the KKK. Like, that's who he is because he's so insane because he's like, well, if I can just get them to support me, I don't I don't really care what how much sense it makes. Because the thing <laughs> is, Trump has a disproportionate amount of the black male vote. He's got 14%. Like, he polls it, like, between 12 and 14%. And I they're believe, hope, I believe those numbers are real. Yeah, they're hoping for 20%. They think they can get 20% of the black male vote this election. And that, and that would might be enough to, 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 to certainly make things interesting, interesting enough to where it could end up in a Supreme Court challenge. So it's just like, the, the thing is, people, aren't, people are not motivated. If Donald Trump loses, which I do think he will, I just think it's because people dislike him more than they like anybody else. They, 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 weren't, they didn't know how bad it was. And now they're like, we got to get him out. I think that's really what it comes down to. It's not so much that, hey, we want to get, the last time the Democratic Party was excited about voting for president was 2008. In 2012, they were ex excited enough, but in 2008, they were like, man, we got to get this done. This is awesome. This is amazing. And then they got hoodwinked. So now they've been kind of, there, there is a, a, a Barack backlash, so to speak, with the Democratic Party where they're just like, ah, okay. You know, they were expecting this. They got Barack Obama, a transcendent, candidate, man, father, whatever. And now it's like, you've gotten a retread Hillary Clinton and then you've got kind of a retread in Joe Biden. Joe Biden probably would have been able to win in 2016, but you know, he had the issue with his son and you can't begrudge him that because obviously that's a huge loss, but I'm done, man. I may not say nothing for the rest of the show, but I just need to say that, get that off my chest. I've just, I felt like I needed to just take you guys down that, down that road um, that I've been, been on. And I just wanted to unload that because where else am I going to say this? <laughs> so you said, you said quite a bit that I wanted to touch on, man. One, you were talking about how even if the Democrats get the majority, they're not going to do anything with it, which is funny because one, when they do do something, 
they don't look at the big picture and it winds up biting them in the butt. So 2013, Harry Reid, former Senator Harry Reid, who's the majority leader, got rid of the 60 vote threshold for nominating judges, which had been in place for a while. I think it came in place after the Clarence Thomas uh, nomination, but don't quote me on that. So had he not gotten rid of that, and to their credit, Republicans warned him not to do that, there would be no Amy Comey Barrett right now. There would be no uh, Brett Kavanaugh right now um, because Brett Kavanaugh passed, what, 51 to 49? She just passed 52 to 48. But the Democrats, they shot themselves in the foot. They got rid of it. Now, I know why they did it, because Republicans kept filibustering and they were getting sick of not being able to approve any of Obama's judges. But big picture-wise, this dude has gotten three Supreme Court nominees in one term. That's like, that's almost unheard of. Now, on the flip side, it's almost as if they heard your rent before and they are talking about doing something with it. They are talking about now stacking the court. I don't know how I feel about that, but because of what the Republicans did with, uh, with this latest Supreme Court justice, they're talking about adding benches to the Supreme Court. So all around, this election, and we hear this every four years, this is the most important election of our lifetime. I'm telling you, you're gonna hear it in 2024, you heard it in 2016, you heard it in 08. Every presidential election cycle, you will always hear, this is the most important election of our lifetime. This year, I don't know whether or not that's true, but it's definitely gonna be the most interesting. And what I mean by that is just all the different scenarios that can play out. Like if you lived through 2000, there was no declared winner after, after election night. We didn't get a, a declared winner until December. Same thing can happen now. So many people have mailed in their votes. I saw where in Florida alone, more people have now early voted than the total amount of people that voted for Trump in 2016. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and the thing about those votes is they don't count until after the election day. The only votes that count on election day are the ones that are cast that day. Maybe some of the early early votes as well, but I know the mail ballots for a lot of states, they don't count until November 4th and after. So we could be looking at a scenario where Trump wins election day, but then due to the mail-in ballots, oh, I mean, Biden comes and wins. And just knowing Trump, how is he gonna react to that? The flip can happen as well. Um, there's even some scenarios where we can have a 269 electoral tie. So this time next week, I expect it to be crazy. I expect it to be wild. It's going to be interesting. But as far as my predictions go, I, you know, I risk being wrong again. I do think he's going to lose. You look at the total that he won in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Florida. They're very, very slim. If people just had have gone to vote, we would not have him in the first place. I, maybe I'm naive. I just feel like people see now that he can win. And because they know he can win, even if they don't like Biden, they're going to hold their nose and go vote. I think I think one thing we also need to mention is Jim Comey actually happened. And that was a big thing. I know that it was like it, a week before the election. Yeah, it, was, right? it, was, it was it was no more than a week. My, I felt like right. it was. And so that was um, there was actually an article. I think it's on NBC about his wife um, who basically was like, don't do that. Don't come out with that information week before the election. And 
that just cemented that Hillary Clinton was a bad candidate. And that depressed her vote just enough yes. to, to, to me. The thing about Biden is nothing has been able to come out against him. And obviously recording this on a Thursday and the election on a Tuesday, he has avoided any real major things. I know they've been trying to bring up this Hunter Biden laptop thing, but there's no real, there's nothing there with that because the FBI is not pursuing it. There's nothing, um, there's nothing happening there. So it feels like at a minimum, Joe Biden from a character standpoint, he's he's a sterling compared to say Hillary Clinton. So I think that, you know, when it comes down to that, his leads in Wisconsin, think about Michigan too. I think that, you know, um, Donald Trump won Michigan last year as well. I think there's no way he wins Michigan this year with everything that's happened with the with the governor. Um, I think that state is kind of shifted. And, and so I think that you'll see a shift in those in the blue wall. I think if if it really comes down to if Biden can kind of hold up the blue wall that Hillary lost, mm -hmm. then he pretty much win the election. If he wins, if he can hold the blue wall in Florida, the election is over. They can call it that night. But certainly winning the blue wall, even if Florida is contested, which, you know, it probably might be him winning the Rust Belt um, and, and some of those northeastern states uh, and, and obviously, you know, potentially carrying in Arizona as well. Um, which, which could be, be blue for the first time, right, which, which would, would yeah. be would be would be a big uh, help. I mean, so, like I said, I think that um, he's he's got the elect the map is in his favor. Mm -hmm. um, and he doesn't have anything going against him. It doesn't mean that things can't happen, you know, random things. But I do think that um, just, I mean, let's put it like this. It's not that much conspiracy. Like if Obama was running for the first time this was happening, I'd be, I'd probably be more nervous, right? Because, oh God, first time black president, you know, he's <laughs> favored and then doing his mail and stuff. It's like, you know, Joe Biden's a white guy. People kind of, for the most part, trust him. He doesn't have any like biases. He'll like Barack Obama did very poorly with white males. He did fairly poorly. Um, Joe Biden is, is, is going to do much better because he's a white male. Let's just call it what it is. And he's doing much better with black women. Now, Joe Biden isn't doing as well with black males, but black males don't make him as much the electorate as white males. Like, mm -hmm. let's keep it real. And black women um, vote more than men. So, I mean, I just, I just think that the numbers, you know, I mean, like I said, I'm not here to, to you know, I'm, I'm willing it's to definitely eat, in his eat favor, crow. Man. It's in yeah. his favor. Like, yeah. it's it's his race to lose. And so far, don't he trust hasn't. the polls, though. He, has, he, has, he hasn't trusted, like, you got to go out and vote, right? Like, yes, yes. And, and don't go out and, you know, there's a couple people, you know, that I know um, from, from, from my work or whatever, and I won't mention any names, case, you know, because obviously they're not going to listen to podcasts, but if they ever did, it's like, you know, somebody wrote in the governor's name, um, and then somebody else was like, I'm not voting because all politicians are liars. And I'm like, but yeah, that's a mm -hmm. false equivalency. But, and, 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 and pe people are just, you know, th to me, there's, there's already three votes that throw in Maryland, two that I know about my job. And then Larry Hogan, who wrote um, in Ronald Reagan. So it's like, I'm not saying... Biden's not going to win Maryland because he's 30 points ahead. So goodness grief, like it take a massive polling error, you know, of, of unforeseen proportions. But what I'm saying is those are kind of things that end up in a, in a close state, in a contested state that matters. Um, and, and so please take your vote seriously, you know, vote for the candidate that can win 
or that candidate if that base, even if you vote for Donald Trump, I'm not here telling you to vote for, but vote for somebody who can win. Like don't don't throw your vote away. I just don't I just don't think that makes sense. But uh, like I said, I I, um, I saw a scenario where because you mentioned Florida, man, I saw a scenario where if he wins Florida, he could actually lose Pennsylvania, Michigan, and I think Wisconsin and still win. So the numbers are definitely in his favor. But don't listen to any of that. Vote. Because that's what got, like, if you feel like he's been a bad president, that's what got us in trouble in 2016 because people listened to the polls. People felt like Hillary was inevitable. And at the end of the day, his people showed up. And that's one thing I will always give him credit for. His people show up. Uh, Just real quick, though, I think the Democrats hold on to the House. I got burned by the Senate in 2018. I really was hoping for Stacey Abrams. And oh man, his name will lose me in uh, Florida. But the brother that was running for, um, no, he was running for governor. But those two races really, you know, burned me. I, I was, I, I really thought the, Dem- the Democratic candidates were going to win. So they may come close and shade the lead of the Republican League. I know like uh, Susan Collins is in trouble, the senator in um, Arizona, she's in trouble running against Mark Kelly. So they're very close races, but I can't trust them polls. I'm going to hope for the best, but there's a. I, if I had to pick, the Republicans may hold on to the Senate. It may be like 51 40, or it could be 50 50. And, you know, if they hold on to the White House, that's essentially still their majority because the vice president breaks the tie. So it's going to be interesting, man. We, um, I'm just looking forward to how everything plays out. But, I feel like we have exhausted quite a bit on that. I did see something interesting too. One last note, Walmart has pulled their guns off the shelves uh, as a precaution for this election. That's how crazy they expecting it could get. They've pulled their guns off the shelves until after the election. So it's just one more little nugget just to show you how crazy some people are expecting the outcome of this election to get. To get. And make no mistake, it doesn't matter who wins, Biden, it's going to be a crazy half of the country. Trump is going to be a crazy half of the country. So just buckle up. Um, I remember, I think it's been about two years ago now, Frank, we had Jane Miller on from WBAL in Baltimore. And we were covering this story called the, uh, the Gun Trace Task Force. And man, I don't know how much you remember about this story. If you're a listener, I don't know how much you remember about it, but it was crazy. Please Google it and look it up. Those officers were off the hook. It was a, a special squad put in uh, charge of getting guns off the streets in, in Baltimore and, and really tackling a lot of the violent criminals in that city. They wound up becoming what they were chasing as they harassed innocent civilians, taxpaying citizens, Plant guns on people, literally going in their house and stealing their money. Uh, if you, I mean, looking at some of the stories of the Gun Trace Task Force, if you watch The Wire, you could you could honestly be like, "Wow, man, The Wire really downplayed <laughs> some of the police behavior in this in this show because they were off the hook." A lot of you probably have seen Ian Sars hashtag Ian Sars, and that is the special anti-robbery squad in Nigeria. Now, I brought up the Gun Trace Task Force because that reminds me of this. This squad was uh, put in charge of Nigeria was having like a problem with a lot of violent robberies 
in that country. And so this squad was formed in 1992 and they were to take on violent uh, robberies and prevent it and all that stuff. And they were doing it for a while, but then just like so many other examples that we have from the past, they wound up becoming what they were chasing. They're beating innocent people. Some of their torture methods were hangings, uh, beatings, like I said, mock executions, uh, shootings. Sometimes they would just shoot uh, suspects, starvations, all of that stuff. They would detain them for no reason whatsoever. They were robbing people. You have journalists that were covering certain stories that got beaten. They were pulling people over, dragging them out of the car. A lot of the stuff that you hear was going on with some of our police in America was going on there. And so the NSARS campaign has been going on for a while, but it really caught on back in 2017. And the thing is the Nigerian government for the last four years has promised to disband this special anti-robbery squad. 2017, the president promised he would disband them. And every year after he's promised that, but he, he hasn't done so whatsoever. Um, I mentioned how we have several examples of that. If you look at the show, The Shield, The Shield is based on a group that was formed in the uh, LAPD that began going rogue. I mentioned the Gun Trace Task Force in Baltimore. Hell, our CIA and military and what they did in Guantanamo Bay, anytime you have people that are chasing these extremely bad criminals, you run the risk of that authority becoming that. So to me, you know, this whole SARS story, it was kind of like same story, different place. And my main question for you that I wanted to um, A, see what, what all did you know about it? Uh, and is that something that you could see America getting involved in? And an even bigger question is, is it inevitable? Because that's what I'm speaking to. Anytime you form some special police squad that's in charge of, you know, capturing particular types of criminals, if they don't have any oversight, is it inevitable in your opinion that that police squad runs the risk of becoming just as bad as the criminals they're chasing? Because I feel like we have so many examples of that. We see it even on a lesser level, which is not necessarily a special squad, but police officers that patrol these very dangerous neighborhoods those are the ones that get the most abusive complaints. Those are the ones that don't see the, the neighbors and the, and the citizens as people to protect. They see them as enemies that they got to jack up and arrest. So is that inevitable when you don't have any oversight over these type of, you know, special law enforcement squads that are formed? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of... Um, how would you say this? Whenever you have people who are going deep cover, we've seen the movies, right? Like any, any name, any movie you can think of where a guy goes in deep cover and he ends up almost, you know, getting what you almost call like Stockholm syndrome. Like in that case, you're sympathizing kind of with your, your captor. But I think it's kind of the similar thing where it's like you become and start thinking like the criminal. So you just start behaving like, like that. And, and I think that it's important to understand that, one thing you said is why does this keep happening or will this keep happening? I, my answer is yes, because here's the thing. There's, we think there's a line that, that, that separates us from being a criminal or a good person. And the line is 
really just in sometimes your circumstance, right? Where you're born, how you're brought up, all those things. And I'm not here saying that there's no such thing as people who are criminals. But what I'm saying is if you go into down that road and you start playing by, you know, loose, loose, you know, fast and loose, you will become that way because you become your habits. You can't, you know, it's just like, how many, how many, how many of us have, have a habit we want to break, right? Like we've, it's something we've been doing for years, but how many of us go and try to develop a bad habit, right? Like, and that's really what you're doing. You're saying, hey, we're going to do things in a way. It's going to make us more efficient, you think, initially, right? We're going to think like the criminals are going to move like them. We're going to, you know, act with, you know, no, you know, impunity, you know, we're going we're gonna to move and it's going to end up becoming like, who are you? Like it becomes who you are. It's not like acting in a movie, right? Like you can't just turn it off. I mean, in hell, even you've even seen that kind of thing happen where people have acted in movies and they've gone, you know, crazy with us with different kind of roles that were very mm -hmm. traumatic. You know, Heath Ledger, you think about him mm -hmm. playing the Joker, a psychotic person, and it, it, it caused him you know, to OD on, you know, I think it was he OD on sleeping pills or something, or he had an overdose. The point is, when you delve, because, and I know people are like, oh, are you ready for this? But it's just like, when you delve into this kind of thing, you're dealing with spirits, you're dealing with, you're, you're dealing with a demonic behavior. You're saying, I'm going to go and do everything that's morally wrong and corrupt in my flesh. And then I'm going to just turn that off. It don't work like that. It doesn't work like that. That's why you have to, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that people don't have to go undercover. But what I'm saying is when you have a whole unit undercover with very little oversight, this is always going to happen. Um, and, and a way to stop it, I don't know. I don't really know how you do this because it can be a thing where after a while it becomes self-perpetuating because the whole squad is like, we, we got to do this because this is how we're surviving. And they bond together in this bad behavior. You've always, you see it all the time. It's like, it may be a guy, couple guys that are pushing it too far, but then it's like, well, wait, that's kind of like the police are right now. That's kind of why George Floyd is dead because some people were like, ah, this guy is putting his knee on his neck. That's probably doing too much. But, you know, I mean, that's really what it comes down to, right? Like we have allowed people to push law in a way that, they can be acting as judge or an executioner in, in the name of, hey, we're doing something good. And that's really the problem now with the police, not just the you know special anti-robbery squad or the gun trace task force, all the police operate in that kind of like, hey, we're here to save the day no matter what, without really considering like, you blow up the neighborhood and the people in it, are you really saving it? What's, what's incredible to me is the um, it, it's the same playbook on both sides uh, in the behavior of this particular uh, squad in Nigeria and how they start off doing a, a, a good thing and then become this this gang, so to speak. They're, I, mean, I mean, there's really no difference. They're pretty much a gang now. And, and the politicians, because I was reading the article and they were talking about well, you know, maybe we just need police reform. And they've, they've like passed budgets with money. They, I want to say one of their budgets was like $192 million to go towards uh, po po police reforms for, for this particular squad. And you got politicians making promises that they aren't keeping. Last four years, they've said, we're going we're gonna to disband this, this squad. And, and they're still, you know, the people are fed up. So before we move on, 
they've been doing this since 2017 with this in SARS campaign. But this year, I feel like it's finally like really caught on on a global level. So now that they have that global attention, do you think the Nigerian government will, will keep their word this time? I, th I think so. I mean, when the pressure mounts, right, things do change. And, and it's sad that it took this much. I mean, right, right now, like you said, it's a global, uh, all eyes are watching, right? So yeah, there's pressure to change it now. But I mean, it seems like it's too little too late in some ways for, for some of the people that they've, you know, irreparably harmed. So um, before we get out of here, I am I have said this before, probably not on this podcast before, but I am a, a Lil Wayne fan. I've rocked with him since, man, since I was in high school uh, when he was with the Hot Boys and stuff. Lil Wayne fan, uh, I definitely like 50 Cent when he first came out, his first CD was banging. Same with Kanye West. I think he has had probably the best four, three album releases of any hip hop artist's career. And Ice Cube, man, I, I wasn't the biggest Ice Cube fan, but I, you know, he definitely is a is a good lyricist. He wrote for NWA. He's done a lot of great things in, in his career. Transitioned into acting, very, very, very successful brother. Um, right now, those four artists I just mentioned, man, they are at odds with the black community, in particular Ice Cube. So Ice Cube has this contract with America that he came up with. And it came out a couple of weeks ago, one of the Trump administration people, I believe it was Katrina Pearson, who is the entire subject by herself. But she tweeted, you know, she wanted to thank him for meeting with them and helping them construct their uh, platinum plan that you brought up earlier. Um, and I want to talk about that platinum plan real quick, but before I do, uh, Frank, if, 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 if the Trump administration heard this podcast and you said some things they liked and they said, man, you know, that, that dude right there, he has something to offer. I'd like to meet with him and, and see what we can do to uh, help black Americans. Would you meet with the Trump administration? Because Ice Cube, because people took it as he was supporting Trump. And he, he was trying to make it clear. I'm not saying that I will vote for Trump or that I'm supporting him. I put out the request to the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign. The Biden campaign said, we'll meet with you after the election. The Trump campaign said, we'll meet with you now. So he met with them, whether you like it or not, his point of position is they're the ones in power. They, they chose to meet with me to hear me out. I don't have any expectations. I'm not saying that they are gonna follow everything that I propose. I'm just waiting to see. But I didn't think that it was wise to turn down an opportunity to at least meet with them. If we're going to make all of these changes that we want, we're going to have to sit down with people that we don't necessarily agree with. And if they're open to meeting with us, then we should meet with them. Black America wouldn't have any of that. So would you risk the ire of plenty of people in this country that would be against you? if you met with Trump or would you take that opportunity to possibly make a difference? So I would not meet with, without, whether I currently know, I would not meet with this administration because they are the dog, they do the dog and pony show with, hey, look who we talked to. 
they, they, they pretty much out you as like, hey, look who's with us. And so to me, before you, because it's like, before you even agree to anything, have a meeting, they pretty much are checking you down as like a prop on their plan. I mean, we should take the Chrisette Michelle playbook, right? Like, I think that at the beginning, maybe you could say some people, you could understand it, but when you see what he's done uh, with people who have met with him, how he's kind of, you know, paraded that around, his administration parades that around, hey, look, we've got support of Ice Cube, right? And Ice Cube's like, nah, I, I, I met with you because I wanted to, you know, look at some things and I've asked me with the Biden campaign. And, and, and so I think that it's all politicized. Now, I understand the need to meet. I just feel like this administration, um, they, 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 they don't work trans, transparent, well, maybe too transparent. They, how can I say this? I would not do it personally, but I'm not gonna kill Ice Cube for doing it because I understand his his mindset is, hey, I'm just trying to get advancement because it's not like, as I said before, Democrats haven't necessarily done a great job of doing things. I also don't think this administration is the answer for black people with the way they handle things on both sides. Yes, I understand that they've done the first step back. I understand about the HBCU funding. Uh, and so I'm not, I'm not knocking those things that, that have been done for black people by this administration, but it also has come with a lot of like, hey, look what we've done and look how amazing we are and look who we're doing. And I feel like we're, if, if, if you're gonna do something for black people, just do it in a way that doesn't make it feel like it's being used as a prop. And I feel like this administration does that a little bit too often. And it would be nice if they just dealt more genuinely like, hey, like, yeah, we met with you. And if we do move on, move forward, you know, with any of your suggestions or anything, we'll, you know, we'll get back with you versus, hey, we just had a conversation because it's not as if they're implementing his plan. As he said before, he didn't come up with a platinum plan. He has his own contract, you know, for, with, you know, for America for Black people. And so he was sharing some of those ideas and it's unfortunate that, you know, sometimes black people, we go in on people, but you gotta look at people's reputation. For Ice Cube, I don't think he necessarily deserves it. He's not a Candace Owens or even a Terry Crews, right? Like he's been in a position where I feel like he has earned the benefit of the doubt to do this if he wants to. But like I said, if you're asking me personally, I wouldn't have done it. I, I, I love your answer, man, because like you say in the beginning, yeah, you could give him the benefit of the doubt, but he's shown you that, for the most part, he uses uh, prominent black people for photo ops. And if you can't get a photo out, they do what like they did with, uh, like Katrina Pearson did, was just like, just use your name. And we talked about how, you know, 14% of black males is voting for him. Use your name to try to get more black support or whatever like that. I think, and this probably wouldn't have made a big difference, but perhaps he could have got ahead of it. And, and I mean, Ice Cube has his own Twitter platform. He could have just said, hey, I'm meeting with, you know, representatives of the Trump administration to discuss this contract I came up with. Uh, this is not an endorsement thing. You know, sometimes if you just simply get the word out there before the other side, you can con control the narrative. And I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing that that would have been a huge difference on how people received it, but that's probably one thing he could have he done. Uh, also, the Congressional Black Caucus, they have plans out there that are very similar to what Ice Cube came up with. Joe Biden, if you go to his website, he has a plan with so many of the same things Ice Cube came up with. So I don't know if he didn't pay it. Well, he did. He said on Roland Martin, he wasn't aware of those plans, but 
perhaps he could have gone to the House of Representatives, gotten to meet with Speaker Pelosi uh, and some of the other Black leaders in the House of Representatives to try to put some together and, and force the Senate to vote on it once it passed the House, meet with some of the senators and, and possibly you know get it brought on the Senate floor because we know what this administration does and you don't wanna put yourself in a position to where you're just being used and, and taken for granted. So that would be my, I guess, only, so to speak, advice. That platinum plan, the name in itself is problematic to me. People may not see it this way, but to me, it's almost like, so every Halloween, we see how white people do these racist things I don't know how it continues year after year, but they, you know, put on blackface or you have some that do something as distasteful as dressing up like Trayvon Martin with a gunshot wound. A lot of times their racism is so outdated, they'll do stuff like wear basketball jerseys and platinum chains. Like black people don't even wear basketball jerseys like that anymore. We don't even wear platinum like that anymore. So to me, when they came up with this platinum plan, it sounded like a bunch of white people in a room trying to come up with a name that would appeal to us, but because they're so out of touch, they come up with the platinum plan. This ain't 2000. Like that's when platinum was at its peak. Like we're back to rock and gold and stuff again. Like platinum had a very short run, but they came up with the name of this plan to appeal to us. And it's so outdated that I just almost take offense to just the name in itself. Like, you don't even know how to relate to us. You didn't consult anyone and you came up with this name for the plan. But like I say, that's that's a minor detail, I guess you can say. But when I read that that was the title of the plan, I was like, come on, man. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. But just wanted to get that out there, man, before we go. And oh, also, I agree with you too. Um, I don't knock Ice, Ice Cube for doing it. I probably wouldn't have done it, but we can't on one hand when George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and all these people get murdered and say, man, we need to do something. We need to come up with a plan. We need to come up with an agenda. And someone does. And then you just completely, you know, trash them for trying to get something done about it. Like you can disagree with it, like how you put it and say what you wouldn't have done or how he could have done it better. But some of the names I saw him being called, I thought was uncalled for. Last point. There's a young lady that's that's gone viral, I think in Kentucky or Arkansas or whatever, but she's pretty much calling like the entire city council. She's calling them all out. And one of the big points she made was she's not going to sit down with her oppressors and expect them to be her savior. And I think that's what a lot of people are viewing the Ice Cube meeting. And he didn't, to be clear, he didn't meet with Trump. He met with members of the, the uh, administration. And I think some people are just dealing with that dynamic. And I understand, but we still got to stay united for the most part and just try to get some real change done. That's my little two cents on that, man. We have exhausted the election. We gave you some SARS talk. We talked about Ice Cube. Before we get out of here, I just want to touch on it again. Frank and I, we're recording. It is October 29th, Thursday. Election day is just a handful of days away. And I just want to say this, Bush won Florida in 2000 by a little over 500 votes that we know of. The Supreme Court stopped the recount. So for all we know, to this day, Al Gore 
may have had more votes than Bush. We don't know. But when the vote was stopped, he was ahead by like 575 votes and an entire state of millions of votes. That's how much he won by. Uh, Trump, we mentioned this in the show. He won Florida, Wisconsin, and Michigan narrowly. Like in, in, some, in one of those states, the total was like less than a football stadium amount of people. Um, Texas, they made it to where there's, they made it to where, I'm not sure what that was. They made it to where there was one drop-off ballot per county in the entire state. Um, when you look at the urban neighborhoods, so many times people are waiting hours, two, three, four hours to cast a vote. I went to go vote yesterday. I live in Prince William County, Virginia, predominantly white, literally two minutes. And the same story across the country, predominantly white neighborhoods, they are not having the problem of standing in line for hours to vote. I said all that to say this, there is a reason why the effort is put out there to keep certain individuals from voting. You see what Florida is doing with uh, felons. They passed, a, they, they passed a law saying that as long as they um, restoring the rights of felons, they could vote. So then they added pretty much essentially a poll tax on top of that. So the effort is there to keep us from voting and it's not done for, for no reason at all. They don't want you to vote because it matters. My point is don't be lazy. Like I said at the top of the show and just say, well, there's no difference. They're both just as bad. Learn the issues, learn the differences, cast your vote because there are major differences. There are major, major differences. In 2000, one president, the president that won sent us to a war that we didn't necessarily have to go to. The guy that lost more than likely wouldn't have done that. We lost a lot of citizens, soldiers in those wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. That kind of stuff matters. Obama passed health care, good or bad, he passed health care for people that couldn't afford it. You have a president now that's trying to take it away. All I'm saying is the votes matter. Get out there, learn the issues, learn what's going on, get out there and vote because the whole both sides are the same thing, that's not true. And that's lazy thinking on your part. Learn both sides and make a decision. Amen, brother. Um, again, we wanna thank you guys. You know, we've actually done this show. We started in an election year, I felt like. Um, and so to now still be going, I just wanna thank God for allowing us to be here um, for four years later, even though it was crazy, we still, uh, we learned a lot about ourselves and I learned, about, learned a lot about myself and hopefully I've been, I've been grateful that you've been listening to me grow and I have grown in this four years. And I, and I agree with everything Byron said. I think that, you know, it matters. And I, we, you know, to not, not just because people don't want you to vote, but because at the end of the day, there's a certain feeling of peace that you can have when you say, man, I went and I did my research and I voted. And even if it doesn't turn out like you want to, you did your part, you did what you could. I think that you have to realize that you're special and you're unique in that you, you cannot just throw your vote away. Uh, people, people, obviously we talk about people die for that right, but more importantly, it's a right that keeps the country honest. If you don't express your opinion, if you don't do that, then you're, then the world is missing 
your the representation that you were supposed to provide. Um, and, and so those 500 people that didn't vote, like, or maybe that, you know, whatever those votes, let's say, I mean, obviously it was a recount, but I'm saying that the number of people that, that in these different, in these, in these things, they didn't think that mattered and, and you do matter. So I just want to encourage you to vote, want to encourage you to um, do your research um, and, and just, and just whatever you do, man, um, remember that, you know, regardless of the outcome, to, to be, be better than you were four years ago, whatever it is, like, don't, I know for me, I was upset, but I would just say this, man, God is, God is sovereign. And we need to remember that, uh, even, even, even in things, when things don't go our way. And even, and, and I will say this, if your candidate wins, don't be an asshole. Don't go on and, and do that because the country needs healing regardless of who wins. And I think we need to embrace that and, and try to move towards being a better person, being a better human, because if we can't do that, it doesn't really matter. Nobody wins if we can't do that. So again, I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, all these years, not just this episode, but all the years we've been talking. I appreciate it. Uh, we love you guys. We'll see you very soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.